Welcome to the Urban Health and Wellbeing Program podcast. We are your hosts, Jieling Liu and Franz Gatzweiler. If you're interested in systems approaches and want to know more about the subject of urban health and well-being, in this podcast, we bring to you these insights through interviews with thought leaders and scientists in fields like urban planning, health, environment, and governance. If you like our discussion in this episode, please check out our other episodes and feel free to get in touch. You can find our contact and website information in the written introduction of this podcast. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Health and Wellbeing podcast. My name is Jieling. Today, I'm very happy to talk to Natalie Robel. Natalie is the lead for WHO's work on urban health at the WHO in the Department on Social Determinants of Health. Prior to this, she was leading WHO's work on air pollution and housing in the Department for Environment, Climate Change and Health. One of her main areas of work was the development of the WHO Housing and Health Guidelines and WHO's efforts to address slum upgrading through housing policies and other social policies and interventions. Before joining the WHO headquarters, she worked as a technical officer at the WHO Regional Office for Europe in Bonn and Copenhagen, where she was responsible for environmental health performance reviews and involved in several urban health-related projects. Natalie, you have a very impressive profile at the WHO. Okay, so first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to, to join the series. It's just introduced my main role is actually to bring together and support to that the organization to have, you know, a strategic consolidated approach to urban health, to work within headquarters in Geneva, but also obviously with our regional offices and, and, and country offices. Well, thank you. Your focus on social determinants of health or on urban health, it's a rather interesting topic and we see it increasingly appearing in scientific literature. Could you give us a concept or the working definition of what urban health is? Because as much as we read it on the internet and in the literature, I think that many people probably have each their own interpretation of what it is. <laughs> this is actually a pretty tricky question, I would say, and it's not that easy to answer. And I think that what I can give you here is more an you know, working definition than a, you know, formal approved definition that WHO is working on. So overall, when we talk about urban health, we really understand it as a measure of how well actually urban systems and city actors function together with the specific aim of enabling dwellers to enjoy physical, mental and social well-being. So this is going back to WHO's actual definition of urban of health more broadly. So urban health, uh, we understand it as much more than the sum of its parts. So it's about healthy citizens, it's about environment, and it's about equitable access to all a city can offer. So as you can see, it's a quite large definition. And as I was saying, it's not a formal definition. 
that we are using in WHO is a working definition that we are currently fine-tuning, if I may say, because WHO probably will come to this a little bit later, but has been working on urban health for actually decades, right? Uh, it has been a public health priority for you know, many, many, many years. But I would say that urban health has been addressed through very specific entry points in the organization and in collaboration with partners. So I'm just giving you some examples with a strong focus, for example, on addressing environmental determinants of health in urban context. More recently, with the COVID pandemic, looking also at the role of cities and urban health within the framework of emergency preparedness and response. So although WHO has been working on urban health issues for many years through very specific entry points or healthy cities, for example, approach, um, there was some kind of understanding that urban health needed to be strengthened from a more programmatic perspective. And that's why we are now, you know, working on shaping a little bit better the definition of urban health. But again, to be used with a, you know, pinch of salt, if I could say, it's work in progress. Right. So from what I hear, it seems that WHO has a, let's say, a broad approach trying to have under one umbrella multiple definitions of what urban health is. And I think that's a good approach, at least for what it is now as a working definition. Then my question would be, as it encompasses multiple definitions, it certainly involves multiple stakeholders. So why is WHO taking this focus and how is it coordinating with multiple stakeholders? Well, you know, just to go back a little bit to, to give the rationale why urban health is such an important public health priority, is that certainly, just right, purely demographically speaking, we have, we're seeing, right, that the urban populations have nearly doubled uh, and urbanization is ex accelerating with a very specific focus in, in developing countries. And we also are seeing that health risks and the impacts have compounded. So meaning that there is overlapping threats from non-communicable diseases Uh, climate hazards, injuries and violence, but at the same time still, right, with a high risk of infectious diseases uh, in urban settings. We are also seeing that there is an acceleration of environmental change that has actually reshaped the urban risks and has actually rewritten the policy landscape. And finally, we also see that globalization and technology are actually creating new health risks and opportunities. So, Having all this in mind, right, and also seeing that urban risks are particularly high in low-income countries with also a growing also number of populations living in informal settlements, there is a clear understanding that urban health is a key priority for public health. For public health at the local, for public health at the national, but also at the global level. So there is this increased understanding by countries of the centrality of cities in delivering health and sustainable development. And here I just mentioned the risks, but you can also see the opportunities, right? Because actually cities are very uniquely positioned, positioned, pardon me, to understand the local needs, but also to assemble data, to communicate information, to convene coalitions. So they are actually the very first ones who do implement, you know, health-relevant policies and public services including both sectoral actions, but also a health in all policies approach. So 
going to your question specifically about the multitude of stakeholders, right, that are required to be involved for addressing urban health, there is a variety of partners that need to be addressed. First of all, obviously, the local, you know, policymakers. And when we talk about local policymakers, we are not talking only about the health policymakers at the local level, but actually all the other sectors that have a key impact on public health, transport, energy, housing, you name it. So that's the local level. But the same applies, obviously, at the national level, because you can't see action at the local level being independent, right, of decisions that are taken at the national level through broader policy mechanisms. But then you also have national, international, you know, stakeholders that need to be involved, but also the opportunities, again, of having the academia being involved, having NGOs being involved. So when we talk about urban health and when we talk about WHO's role in addressing urban health, the challenge, but also the opportunity is to bring together all these different players that are required to work together. So, for example, there is a key need of increasing community involvement, for example, at a broader scale, but also for very specific population groups, such as the more vulnerable ones, like the youth, the elderly, and others, uh, to be part of policymaking mechanisms to address urban challenges. So our role in WHO is to work on different streams with different, you know, entry points, but certainly to make sure that all these different stakeholders do work together to address uh, urban health. And again, more importantly, on one hand, is to equip the health sector with the key arguments, right, with the key knowledge about the health impacts, positive and negative, of urban policies, but also to equip them with a tool to be reaching out to colleagues from the other sectors, right, that will actually have the most impact on population health by changing the relevant policies. So this is a little bit, I would say, you know, the broad landscape and shaping of the work. Very well. I appreciate hearing that there's a, this large group of stakeholders involved from the local level to national to international level and also across the different sectors and the different departments of government. As it also works on the international level with governments, I am also curious how this urban health agenda, the social determinants on health agenda, articulate with other agendas and priorities set out by even within the UN system, for example, the UNDP, as you mentioned, in low-income countries, and also the OECD, for example, the G20, the World Bank, and other intergovernmental global leader platforms. Absolutely. And maybe I can give you two examples. The very first one is a close collaboration by WHO, obviously, with all the organizations that you have just, and processes that you have mentioned. But I just would like maybe to pick two examples. The first one is the collaboration between WHO and UN Habitat. UN Habitat being the organization of the United Nations, you know, looking at housing and urban, you know, development in particular. So WHO has been working with UN Habitat, again, for decades, I would say, on a large number of topics. And we have reinforced this joint work through a recently signed Memorandum of Understanding. The idea is that if you want to advance urban health, you need to go through all those sectors, right, that are in charge of urban development. 
And on the same side, if you work on urban development more broadly, as the UN Habitat Organization is doing, you need to make sure that health, you know, is a key input and output almost, right, of the processes. So we are closely working with UN Habitat to make sure that we bring together these different agendas. So UN Habitat, for example, was in charge of developing the new urban agenda that was adopted at the conference in Quito back in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. And for us, it's important to make sure that health is an integral part of its implementation. And so we are working with UN Habitat on a multitude of topics, right? A multitude of topics, being it urban planning, being it and the role of health, right, within urban planning, being it on non-communicable diseases, emergency preparedness and response, or very specifically, uh, I'm giving you an example about malaria and, and vector-borne diseases, uh, where WHO is going to be, you know, very soon launching a framework on, on urban malaria that has been developed also in collaboration with UN Habitat. So there are a multitude of, you know, collaboration mechanisms in order to make sure that we actually strategically use our different assets and entry points. So while we in WHO, our entry points, first entry points is through the health and the health sector, and then influencing also and support other sectors, UN Habitat has the experience, has the structures in place to be working more closely maybe with local governments, but also with urban development, you know, ministries or the sector. So bringing this together definitely has an advantage. The second example is that we are part actually of a broader UN process in strengthening actually the implementation of the SDGs at the local level. So with the local 2030 agenda, where there is a clear understanding that if you want to achieve the SDGs, a strength and effort needs to be put on the local implementation of the SDGs. However, this requires the UN agencies to be supporting countries in doing this, to provide tools, to provide mechanisms, to be, you know, working with local governments, so to have a very practical implementation of the objective. So we are part of that piece of work. So health is not, you know, somewhere aside, it's an integral part and actually is driving, I would almost say, a lot of the of the work because health is obviously closely related with employment with you know gender equality with you know the link to environmental and energy so all this to bring together so these are just two examples obviously of a of a broader international or global approach to urban health mm-hmm. well it's fascinating i'm also very happy to hear about this level of integration happening also inside the UN system, as you mentioned, with the UN Habitat and also with the uh, SDG 2030. So let's say these are the more formally established mechanisms and ways of you know, collaboration between different departments within the UN system. Besides that, is there any sort of a softer, informal kind of narratives that the UN system or the WHO itself is trying to push in terms of advocacies of urban health is with any kind of a citizen dialogue or any research, any community engagement activities? Could you give us some examples? Yes, I will, but I would not call them informal mechanisms. They are just different mechanisms, if you allow me. So again, just to give you other examples of the work that WHO is leading, there was a clear understanding, and this is going back to the 80s, where there was a 
understanding that, for example, cities, right, had a key role to play for public health. And in the 80s, the Healthy City movement, right, the Healthy City Network was created that was actually aiming at bringing together also cities to address public health, to share experiences, to strengthen also community involvement. And building on that, WHO has actually been developing and leading or co-leading quite a large number of partnerships to address health from various entry points. So you have the Healthy City work that is, you know, ongoing, but you also have, for example, within WHO, the age-friendly cities and communities that is really looking at strengthening the role of local governments for addressing the needs of the elderly populations. So this is a very strong mechanism that brings together different cities, also provides it as a platform for sharing knowledge to deliver country support. Another one is the Partnership for Healthy Cities by Bloomberg and WHO, which is focusing specifically on NCDs. Or if you take another example from the environment and health area on air pollution reduction and climate change mitigation, a couple of years back, WHO, in collaboration with other UN partners, actually established Breeze Life, which is also a platform where you have cities joining that uh, commit to reducing air pollution and to address climate change. And then we also have very specific initiatives that are currently being implemented on a selected number of cities that aim really of strengthening governance mechanisms for urban health at the local level. So we have the project on urban governance and, and well-being. We have the Urban Health Initiative that is looking at air pollution. So with a clear understanding that we need, right, to be going and into, you know, the local context itself, but also to support the creation of exchange, community engagement, participatory processes. So there is a magnitude, I would say, of approaches like this. But I wouldn't call them informal, if I could say. I think it's maybe uh, in different domains, we use terms in different ways. So when I mean informal, it is uh, actually something from institutional economics, the differentiation between what is established, you know, legalized in terms of policies, in terms of, you know, legislations, and then all the others that basically have lesser of a binding effect are called informal. So that's what I meant. But I know the UN system has a different meaning for informal. So, <laughs> right. So... You define the WHO's focus on the social determinants of health or the social determinants of urban health, especially, but we never delve down to, you know, see exactly what the social determinants are. So in my mind, the common social determinants would be like age, education, income, household population, probably some cultural differences. But what exactly are the social determinants that the WHO is looking at, particularly, you know, in nowadays, any discussion on, on health and on urban health cannot really leave the incident of the pandemic. And so perhaps you could give us, you know, an example in the COVID context, what the social determinants of health uh, are the most common or the most obvious or evident in terms of its effects on health and um, maybe, you know, bring some case studies if you have any. Sure. So maybe if you allow me just to go one step back, right? So maybe just to remind us 
a bit of how WHO defines the social determinants of health, which are actually more broadly the non-medical factors that influence health outcomes. So to summarize, there are the key conditions in which people are born or they grow, work, live and age, and the wider set of forces, but also the systems that are shaping the conditions of life. So if you look at some examples of the social determinants of health that can influence health, and you have just named them, you have income and social protection, education, unemployment, you know, food security, social inclusion, and a lot of more. And maybe to respond concretely to your question, uh, with a link also to the urban context, but also to maybe the pandemic, one example that I would like to pick is maybe housing. So going to COVID, one, obviously, you know, we all remember the lockdowns. We all remember that populations, largely speaking, had to then spend a lot of time, you know, within their homes. And therefore, a basic social determinant of health, housing, actually was, you know, put again very high on the public health agenda. Because certainly for those families that are living in good housing conditions, being at home during COVID was protective, right? was reassuring. But for large number of the population groups that maybe were living in substandard housing conditions, that were living in housing conditions that did not offer enough space, right? And a lot of other things, housing became a threat to their, you know, an increased threat to their health. So when we look at urban more broadly, again, we also see that due to an increased urbanization and also to increase people, you know, needing housing in urban context, again, housing is becoming a key public health priority. So this is just an example. And interestingly enough, during COVID, the role of housing has even got another twist because housing not only was the place where people were now living and could be exposed to potential threats like indoor air pollution, overcrowding, uh, lack of water and sanitation, etc., but also became the place where actually basic health almost services, right, were fulfilled. You had to do your testing at home. So if people wouldn't be able to do it because they were, for example, too old to go out, the services had to come to their house. A lot of health services that could not be fulfilled anymore outside, you know, within the health system had to be somehow reshifted, you know, within the private environment. So housing suddenly was not only a determinant of health in the sense of almost exposure, right, to housing as a physical environment or social environment, housing became almost part of the response of the health system. This shows you that when you talk about urban and when you talk about sectoral policies within the urban context for health, and when you look at housing in specifically as a key social determinant of health, it is, again, not only a determinant by, you know, the structure, the, the social environment, but it's also as part of the health system. So I think it's pretty fascinating. It's true. I mean, who would have thought that we all will have to spend most of the time in our own home, right, uh, for such a prolonged period of time. And if we were confined at home, most of our physical needs really had to be met inside our own home. So in that sense, it's also... And also the link then to the fact of housing and housing becoming the place of education for a large number of children, right? And then, exactly. and also the disadvantage, right, of a, a large 
population groups who could not benefit from education at home uh, because of many reasons. And therefore, then, the impact that it will have, you know, on the determinants of health in the longer term. So I think it's a quite interesting and fascinating area. Very well. Yes, you know, there are lots of discussions or maybe many people feel that we are now getting out of the pandemic. And so a lot of the temporary measures that were taken during the last three years will be gone and we could just, you know, in a way live back to the time that we were used to before the pandemic. But certainly as a health organization, if you don't hold the same opinion, you at least have very different scenarios that depending on which scenario, you then take different measures. So what are the most likely scenarios, if I may ask, if uh, WHO has a, has a view on the most possible scenario for the next one, two, three years in terms of the pandemic and then the health policy development? Well, I will answer that question from an urban health perspective, not from a broader global health perspective by WHO. I think that the pandemic has re-emphasized the role, on one hand, local governments, the role of cities, right, in the response to public health emergency and threats and needs. It has, at the same time, identified that when you talk about even public health emergencies, it's not only an emergency response of the health system, but by the system, you know, broadly. And that thirdly, it requires obviously preparation, right, to address, uh, to prevent some of the risks, but then also be obviously ready to respond. And again, at the very local level. So I think that not that before the role of cities was not understood or clear or on the agenda. I think, as I was saying, it has been there for quite some time, but probably the COVID pandemic has just re-emphasized, right, the role of cities to address public health broadly. So that's the first, I would say, you know, statement. The second statement, and this is what we are currently working on, at least within the team, you know, I am in charge of for this broader, you know, strategic approach of urban health more broadly, is that countries probably need more support to address urban health in a holistic way. So that it's not about addressing NCDs here, uh, environmental health there, and emergency preparedness and response on the other hand, and migration, I'm just saying a thing, you know, challenges on the other. All these areas are interconnected. And an action, an intervention in one area, most probably in many cases, will have an impact also on the others. And local governments very often are, you know, overstretched. So we want to show what urban health means broadly. We want to give them the ideas for those entry points, right? Those, you know, opportunities, but also how they are linked to each other. So this is why we are currently working on developing the strategic guide on urban health for countries. This doesn't mean, though, that, and I'm going back specifically to the pandemic, that there isn't a need also for providing specific guidance on the role of local governments and cities for emergency preparedness and response. And actually, our colleagues working on emergency preparedness, they have been working and developing a framework on that very recently, and they've launched it. And a resolution has been passed this year in the World Health Assembly 
strengthening also, right, the recognition of the role of cities within emergency preparedness. So we will need that. We will need those specific also guidance and approaches, and in particular for the COVID response, right? And this has been highlighted. Okay, well, very well. I'm very excited that the WHO is working, you know, more closely on the front of urban health as I myself have been associated to this International Science Council's program on urban health and well-being. And I think it's really timely, well, in fact, more than timely, right? Because now we're living in an urbanized planet and with most people actually living in urbanized infrastructures that we need really entirely updated approach to health as we used to have. And so on this note, I really want to thank you for sharing all these new movements and this new initiative that you're leading at the WHO. Thank you so very much, Natalie. Thank you very much for, you know, giving, giving me, giving us as WHO the opportunity. And uh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. We hope you have enjoyed our conversation. The background music of this podcast is called Magic Forest, created and shared generously by musician Mike Huber under the Creative Commons license. If you want to join the conversation, add examples of systems approaches to urban health and well-being, or be part of the network, contact us. Again, you can write us an email or visit our website, which are available in the written introduction of this podcast. Please also follow us on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Until next time, stay healthy and well. <music>